0: Praise God. Hey, this is a really big month. Uh, It's the first month of the year. Did you know that? I hope you knew that. And uh, lots of things going on. Today we started our Next Steps class for newcomers, people that are newer to our church and trying to figure out what this church is about and what's going on around here. And uh, those happen every Sunday for four Sundays. And so if you miss this one but you're new, you can jump in next week uh, and be part of the Next Steps class. We've got water baptism on the 22nd. So if you want to be baptized in water right here, we're not going to go outside this month uh, like we did in the summer. We're going to go ahead and do it in here. Uh, But if you'd like to be baptized, sign up. Uh, Those are in the announcements as well. And I just want to, again, encourage you to download the Church Center app. If you've not done that and you're part of our church, I really want to ask you to do that for several reasons I'll get into here in a little while. Uh, But if you want to stay up to date on things going on, sign up for things, register for missions trips. We've got a few of those in the works for 2023. I'm so excited. Uh, Aren't you excited about what God is doing? Man, I'm glad that this is not a dead place to be. Amen? Amen. Also, next Sunday, we launch our Spring Connect group. So don't miss that as well. Uh, Got lots of great groups and opportunities for you. And uh, here's one of the things we want to do in every one of our Connect groups. So if you're a Connect group leader, listen. We want to make room for the presence of God in every group. Did you hear what I said? in every single one of our groups. We're not just interested in doing a good Bible study. We're not just interested in getting together and having fellowship. Those are wonderful things, and those are spiritual things. Those are godly things. But what we want is in the middle of every gathering, the presence of God to be real and tangible and available for those that are interested. So if you would sign up next Sunday, you can look at them. I think they're on the Church Center app right now. You can take a look at what's what's available this semester. And if you're like, man, none of that appeals to me. Great. You can lead one. You can lead your own group and you can do something that appeals to you. Right? Okay. Praise the <laughs> Lord. <clears throat> we kind of started, if you were here last Sunday, we, we did an interesting uh, service and I was, I was gone, but I'm so so proud of our pastoral team. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, Stacy Gaines putting together a consecrating service. We really felt like we wanted to give the year to the Lord. How many of you know that's kind of a smart thing to do? We wanted to consecrate 2023 to the Lord so that he could do in us and through us whatever he wanted, and I decided uh, we're going to go with this theme of life this year, and so this these next few Sundays, we're going to talk about this is life. What is real life with God? What does that look like uh, to have a real, legitimate, authentic life with God? In, in February, we're going to look at how to have a blessed life with God. What does a blessed life look like? And then in March, we're going to jump into the book of Mark, and we're going to look at the life Of Jesus, and we're going to study the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said because Mark is the book of action. If you didn't know that, we're going to see the things that God did or what Jesus did while He lived on the earth. And so, I'm that's kind of where we're heading. I'm super excited about what God is doing, Uh, but today we want to dig in uh, no pun intended, we're going to dig into digging spiritual wells. Okay? Spiritual wells. What is a spiritual well? How do we dig into it? Let me give you just briefly a little background on how God from the beginning has done life of the spirit or life with God. So in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, has anybody read the Old Testament? Maybe, you know, if you haven't, I know there's some difficult books. I do. Numbers is brutal. Leviticus is worse. Okay? But there's some great stuff in there. And what we learn about God informs how our relationship with God is active and relevant in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, the primary way that God related to his people was in a corporate way. There wasn't, unless you were a king or a priest... You didn't really have you know, an individual relationship with God. We have a few stories uh, like Samuel's mother who spent her time in the temple praying and seeking the Lord. But generally speaking, the way that you related to God was through the priest or through the prophets, and you gave your sacrifice and you did your, you know, your duty or whatever, but it was primarily a corporate spirituality. How many of you are thankful that that's not how we do it anymore? Aren't you glad that you don't have to come to me to pray prayers for you? you can go to the throne of God yourself and receive the grace and mercy you need at the foot of the cross. I'm grateful for that, and that's what Jesus changed in the New Testament. Hebrews tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was ripped in two, meaning that the access, access to the very throne of God, to the person of God, the person of Jesus became available to every, ber- every believer. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord now has access to the throne of God. You don't have to go through me or anybody else. You can go directly to God yourself. Aren't you glad for that? That's why I say to you a lot, come on, don't listen to me pray, or don't, don't worship through me. Do it for yourself. Because it's not supposed to be done through me. It's supposed to be done through you. And that's what Jesus changed. Well, now, New Testament plus 2000, Jesus still opened the door for us, but he still relates to the people of God in a spiritual way, in a corporate way. Here's what I mean. Uh, when, When we collectively are having right relationship with God. So in other words, if all of you are out there and I'm out there and we're having the, our right relationship with God, we're loving the Lord, we're serving the Lord, we're spending time with God through the week, when we come into this room in a corporate setting, everything is different. There is a presence of God that inhabits the praises of his people, plural, that, know, that you cannot replicate when you're by yourself. Something transforms the moment in the room when we have all spent time with the Lord through the week. Everybody with me on that? And I, you know, like as a pastor, there are Sundays like I can feel it. And there are Sundays where I go, man, like today I feel like, man, maybe it's because it's the first of the year and you're all still in your New Year's resolutions, okay? But I'm like, man, more people did their devotions this week than, you know, maybe a, a, a random week in August or something. Because the spirit of God is more free to move in ways that he can't move when we are not related to God. In other words, if this is the only time that you drink from the well of the Holy Spirit is on Sunday morning, how many of you know that the rest of your life is gonna be pretty empty? So it's got to be more than that, and it affects everybody. What you do in your spiritual life affects everybody. If we want the presence of God in our small groups and in our, lar- in our large groups, then all of us are responsible for our individual walks with God because it affects our corporate walk with God. Does that make sense? Is that too deep for you? I don't think it is. Everybody understand that? Okay, I want to make sure. I'm going to teach a little bit. Here's the good news, it's been provided for us. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. How many of you could stand the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your life? How many of you want wisdom? How many of you would love to have revelation from the Holy Spirit about where he's leading you and what's going on? Yes, please, right, I want revelation. Why, why do we have it? We want it for our peace and our comfort, but that's not why Paul says we need it. Paul says we need it so that we may know him better. So we may know the things of God that we might know the ways of the Lord. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you. How many of you know when you understand and embrace the hope to which God has called each of us, the perspective you have on your current circumstances radically changes. In light of the hope of eternity, the problems, the broken pipes at four in the morning on Christmas Day seem trivial in comparison to what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? So you may know him so that you might know his hope the riches of his glorious inheritance in the earth and his incomparable great power for us to believe. That's awesome. I love that passage. I had a whole other passage in 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1 that I was going to read, but I'm not going to read it. You read it on your own. But here's the point. God has provided everything you need, but we struggle. How many of you are human? How many of you are heads? Some of you are like, I'm not a knothead, and everybody else is like, yes, you are. We struggle. God has made a path and laid it out for us, but we struggle. We struggle to trust the Lord. We struggle to believe him. We struggle to kill our fleshly being, our fleshly man so that our spirit can live. And what we do through enough years or enough time of struggling in that way is that we change the belief structure or we change what we think is going to get us there or what is going to provide it. We begin to believe that if we're a good person, that everything will work out for us and God will shine favor on us if we're a good person. Can I remind you that Jesus said, No one is good. Or we believe if we serve more at the church or in the world or in a ministry outside or if we share our faith more or if we attend church more or if we give more or if we post Christian memes on our social media that somehow we will achieve this place of maturity and this place where we know him better. And I just, you know, I I was reading last night. I I don't know why it was kind of It was kind of terrible to read, but I was reading an article about how many moral failures the church, large mega church moral failures have happened in the last 12 to 18 months and it just made me sad. And what it made me think is, we're chasing personality, we're chasing impressiveness, we're chasing good-looking people who stand behind a, aren't you glad your pastor's ugly? I mean, (laughs) we don't, we, we don't ever, thank you Deanne. We d- <laughs> She's like, "Yeah!" But, you know, we, we chase these things that we think we chase the right temperature in the room or the right volume level or the right worship song or the right prayer moment or whatever. I mean, whatever. You fill in the blank, whatever, whatever you think of. But we chase all these things because we think it's like what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, look, guys, you think that by reading the scripture and by employing the law and by doing all these things, these religious things, you will somehow inherit eternal life. And he says, he says in the in the message, you miss the forest for the trees. He says, in this book, you're talking about the Bible. In the book, you can learn about God, but I am is standing right in front of you. And you don't see him. And so we build this religious network, if you will, in our lives. And I, I've coined a term, I probably didn't, probably I'm not smart enough. Somebody else probably did, but in my mind, I coined it, okay? So, and, and it's this it's spiritual surrogates. The American church is full of spiritual surrogates, people who I believe love God. I do. I believe they love God, but we have trained ourselves to do spirituality through other people rather than do it for ourselves. You know why? Spiritual wells. It's easier to let somebody else dig the well and you stand there and watch them than for you to get your hands in the dirt. And so it's why, listen, this is serious, and I don't want to be mean to you, but here's what I want to say. It's why every New Year's resolution that many, many, many Christians write is I want to get closer to God this year, or I want to read my Bible more this year, or whatever. And every year we fail at it, and so we start over at the first of the year and say, I'm going to do better this year. Can I just say that's just religion? No, am I saying that you shouldn't read your Bible? That's not what I'm saying. I just want to be clear. I am saying that we can't do spiritual life through other people's giftedness and love for God. You can't worship the Lord through our worship team and let that be the way that you relate and worship God. You can't digest the word of the Lord through whoever stands behind this pulpit and never digest it for yourself. If that's how you're living your spiritual life and you're just going through the motions and you're punching the car, and maybe you're from one of, those, one of those church traditions where that's what you did. You went to church and you went to this thing and you, you know, for Catholics, you went to confession and you went through christening, you know, you know all the things that you do. And other, look, the assembly of God is not that different. We've got things like that too. And I'm just saying to you, none of those things really actually produce the life of God in you. They can, but by themselves, they don't produce the life of God. That's not how the Lord set it up. And what we do is we exchange spiritual activity for God for having a real relationship with God. In fact, the church is full of really, really busy people who love the Lord but have no time to spend with him. That's not what he died for. So what do we do about it? What, how do we build our life around the life God has for us? And the answer is found in Genesis 26. And we're going to read some of it here in just a moment. But the answer is spiritual wells. It's a story of Isaac running around and digging wells of life. And we've got to analogize it because, you know, it's Isaac digging wells for his, his sheeps and his herds. But we're going to look at it from a spiritual way. Here's what I want you to know before we get into it. Everybody has wells in their life. Everybody has has wells in their life. Some you have dug. Some come from your family tree. Some you inherited, but we all have wells. Wells are the symbolic idea for the flow which brings existence. And I want to use the word existence, not the word life. Here's why. Because not all wells bring life. There are what we would call empty wells, or there are what we would call uh, tainted wells. So some, like the wells of the Holy Spirit, do produce life. And, and there are generational blessings. There are generational. Well, I believe I am still drinking from the, the wells that my grandfathers dug and my grandmothers dug. They were first-generation believers. They prayed prayers. They dug wells of spirituality. There is a mantle and an anointing on my life because of some of the wells they dug. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you have that kind of spiritual heritage in your life. Some of you don't. Some of you, you are the first generation, and you're digging the wells that will be legacy. But some wells in our life bring death and disease. Some of these are family of origin wells, things that we inherited from our families. Some of them are di- addictions or pet sins, things which, we have, which have just hung on in our life after salvation, and we go to these wells, and we keep thinking that somehow there'll be life. When we're depressed, when we're sad, when we're broken, when we don't know what else to do, when God seems to be silent, we go to these wells because we think it will make us feel better, and it will get us through, and it will get us on the other side, and what we don't realizes we are drinking our own death when we drink from these wells. Most of us have a mixture of wells that produce life and wells that produce death. And I think what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 is whichever one of those wells we train ourselves to drink from the most will determine the outcome of our life. So in Genesis 26, Isaac finds himself in a famine and he's in the city of Gerar, the land of the Philistines during the time of the reign of Abimelech. During this time of famine, the Lord prospered Isaac. Isn't it awesome to know that even in a time of famine, God's hand can be on your life and he can prosper you. Can I just say even in a recession, God can prosper his people. So Genesis 26 verse one says the Lord appeared to Isaac and said do not go down to Egypt. Here's what I want you to underline or look at, but do as I tell you. Now here's what I've learned about Americans. We don't like to be told what to do. Even by God. Come on, I'm telling the truth. If Jesus came down to your bedroom tonight, I'm gonna pray he does. (laughs) <laughs> and told you some things to do, you would have different ideas. You would say, That sounds awesome, Jesus, but what if we did it this way? Because as Americans, we think we get a say. God's very clear here to Isaac, and he goes on. I'm not going to read this passage. You can see it behind me. He goes on to list all these blessings, and I'll read them in a little while, all these blessings that uh, will be for Isaac and his family if, if he does what God says. So it's this. Do you remember English class when you were, like, in fourth grade, and you learned the, I don't know if it's fourth grade or whatever grade. Somebody will tell me. But we learned the concept of the if-then statement. You guys know the if-then? Nobody knows. You didn't pass fourth grade. Okay. (laughs) It's if such and such and such, then such and such and such. Do you know that the Bible is full of if-then statements? If you will, blah, 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 then I will. So the blessing of God, listen, this is, you're going to say this is religion, and it's not religion, it's just the ways of the Lord. If you will honor the Lord in the things that he tells you to do, the blessings of God in your life come in wave after wave over and over again and never end. If you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. And that's what he's saying to Isaac here. Uh, as he's in this land. So if you will, then I will. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 12, skip down to verse 12. There's a, few, there's a little story in between about Isaac being silly and whatever. So verse 12, when Isaac planted his crops that year, here's the blessing of the Lord. Why? Because that last verse, verse, uh, verse six, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. You know what that means? He obeyed the Lord. The Lord said to him, if you'll do what I say, stay here, I will bless you. And there's a list of blessings. And so Isaac does. He stayed in Gerar. And so when he planted his crops that year, in the middle of a famine, you with me? Are you seeing this? Middle of a famine. He plants his crops. He harvested a hundred times more than he planted. How many of you farmers say that's a good year? He became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks and sheep and goats, herds of cattle and servants, that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines, here's the enemy, fills in all of Isaac's wells with dirt. They figure we can kill him and all of his animals if we fill in the well so he can't get water. Because some of you know, you can live about 40 days without food, but you can't live more than about three without water. you got to have water. They filled it in. These were the wells, here's the key. These were the wells that had been dug by Abraham. God's blessings become a reality. The hand of God is on Isaac, but his enemies come to stop up his father's well. So finally, verse 16, Abimelech orders Isaac to leave the country. They're jealous. Go somewhere else. Get out of here. He said, "For you become too powerful for us." So Isaac moved away to the, to the, to the valley. He went into the valley. How many of you know there's some spiritual connotation there? He went into the valley. Where he set up the tents and settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in. Isaac's servants began to redig and reopen the wells of Abraham. Here's legacy wells. And I wanna say this to you some of you have legacy wells in your family. Spiritually speaking, good legacy wells. Things where God brought life to your family. There are wonderful, powerful things that God has done through the course generationally of your family. And God is saying to you that now is the time to redig some of those wells. I believe there are wells in this church that have been dug years ago, that have been covered up, you know, through time and whatever, they've been covered up, and we're going to redig those wells. We're doing it every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock when we pray. We're digging those wells back out so that the flow, why? Why are we, why are we digging out an old well? Because there's still life in the well. There's still life in that well, and so we're going to dig it out. So they began to do that. There's life-giving waters there. Verse 19, Isaac's servant also dug in the, in the Gerar, Gerar, I don't know how you say that, Gerar Valley, and discovered a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar came and claimed the spring. They said, you can't have this. This is our water. So they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named that well Esek, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again, there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, underline that, abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it, so Isaac named that place Rehoboth, which means open space. For he said, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. From there, Isaac moved to Beersheba. Isaac begins to dig new wells. Now, let me make some connotations for you. Let me make some connections. The first well Isaac digs is called Esek, which means contention, it means striving, it means there's a fighting going on. Can I just say that in every one of our lives, we have an ESEC well, and it's the fight between spirit and flesh. And a lot of us right now is even sitting in this room. That is the well at which we sit today. And we're battling the flesh and the spirit. Our spirit is battling the flesh. Paul said it's a common thing. Everybody deals with it. He said, why do I do what I don't want to do? And I do the things that I don't want to do. Why do I do that? Why do I do that? And what I don't want to do, I do. It's the battle of flesh and spirit. It's happening right now in our lives It's happening right now in many of our lives. Ephesians 6 tells us that we fight a spiritual battle against not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Like, guys, there's a legit battle going on for your life. Spiritually, physically, emotionally. Here's what I felt like the Lord told me to do last night at 2 in the morning because I couldn't sleep. Some of you are standing right now at the well of Esek, And you're trying to decide if you're going to serve the Lord or not. If he will be your God or if you'll be your own God. He's not mad at you for standing at the well of Esek. He gets it. He understands. In fact, what he said to me last night was everybody stands at the well of Esek at some point in their life. But you can't stay at the well of esek because that's where the enemy is. And the enemy's there yelling at you and disputing with you. Even though there might be life in this well that we're standing at, there's dispute and there's, there's enmity and there's, there's yuckiness. There's, you know, there's just this going back and forth and our spirit and our flesh are battling. What am I going to do? Am I going to do the things of God or am I going to go my own way? What, how is this going to work out? I don't know what I want to do. And I felt like the Lord told me this. If you're here this morning, I'm going to pray for you right now told you we're going to do weird stuff. I'm going to pray for you right now. If you're standing right now at the, at the well of Esek, I'm going to ask you to have guts and stand on your feet right now. You don't want to stand at this well anymore. You're ready to move on from Ezek. Come on, stand all over the room, wherever you're at. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed by it because every single one of us, including this guy has stood at the well of Esek. and you're standing at the well of Esek right now. And there's a fight going on in your spirit. Are you going to follow the things of the Lord? Or are you going to abandon it? Father, you see these folks, they stand at this crossroads, this moment in time, where they can choose to stay at this well. They can choose, God, to mail it in, to not move past this well, to allow it, to allow it to disrupt their lives and destroy, even destroy their lives as that battle of spirit goes, spirit and flesh goes on inside of them. So, Lord, I pray right now, whatever they need from you, even if they don't recognize that they need it, in order to move past the well of Esek, Lord, would you grant it in Jesus' name? Let the affections of this world that are holding them back be put to death right now. I just heard the Lord say, for somebody that's standing, it's the love of money and the fear of not having enough or the desire to be wealthy. And it's not that God doesn't want to bless you with wealth, but he's saying it cannot be your God. So, Lord, do that work, I pray, and whatever else is there, in Jesus' name, you can be seated. The second well he comes to is the well of Sitna. And this is the well of separation. It's the well, I think he called it the well of hostility, but it's the well of separation, closing old wells so that we can dig new wells. Here's what I mean. Many of us sit in this room this morning and we have what I would call our empty wells in our life. They're places that maybe before we knew Jesus, where we went to get life, or we went to get quote-unquote life, or, or, or places where we thought we, it would make us feel good. It's those indulgent things. It's those whatever. Once you move past this, the, the well of Esek, you have to move to the well of Sitna, and you have to close the old wells so that the well of God can be dug in your life. Does that make sense? And what I felt like the Lord said to me was there'd be some sitting this, this morning in this room, and you've not closed some of those wells. You want to serve God. You moved on. You're going to serve the Lord. You're not going to serve the enemy. You're not going to give in. You've moved on from Ezek. Now you're at Sitna, but the battle now that's waging inside of you is killing those old wells, putting to death the old things that only bring death and don't bring life. It's habits, it's decision making. It's some of the issues and the attitudes of of our hearts that get in the way of spiritual life. God is saying to you today, it's time to fill in the well, to move on from the well of Sitna. So just like before, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I've got some empty wells in my life. I've got some wells that I've gone back to and tried to find life, and there's just no life there. And it's time for me to fill the well in and move on from the well of sitting up. That's you. I want you to stand to your feet, and I'm going to pray for you all over the room. Come on, there's empty wells in your life, and you need to fill them in. There are things that you're chasing that are not of God or that are not God. By the way, sometimes those things are not evil things, they're not sinful things. They're things that we're chasing instead of chasing the call of God in our life. So Jesus, would you lift your hands to the Lord? Because you've already decided you're going to serve the Lord. So now it's on you. It's on you. He says, if you will fill in the well, then I will bring the blessings to your life. So God, in Jesus' name, would they fill in the well right now? Come on, some of you know exactly the well that you need to fill in. Would you speak it to the Lord? God, I'm gonna fill in that well of lust. I'm gonna fill in that well of the love of money. I'm gonna fill in that well of addiction. I'm gonna fill in that well of running to other things outside of running to you, of trust and of faith. I'm gonna fill in the well, God, that is keeping me at this well of Sitna. I don't wanna stay here anymore. There are better wells for me to find and to dig than where I've been drinking lately so I fill in the well right now Holy Spirit God would you do that would you work in each one would you provide miracles and do what you can do in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name amen thirdly he comes to the to the well of Rehoboth And it's almost like this well doesn't really count that much because they find water and they find life and nobody disputes with them, but they still move on to another well. But here's what happens at the well of Rehoboth. It means the well of room. It's where where instead of the enemy moving us and pushing us, we have now moved the enemy. It's where we get to this place uh, uh, past Isek and past Sitna, and we get here, uh, and and now we get up every morning, and we're not worried about if we're going to be victorious. We're not worried about if we're going to be able to walk with God. We're not wondering if life is going to throw us curveballs, and we're going to be able to handle it. This is where we stand on our spiritual own two feet with strength and with courage, and we don't look back anymore. That's what Rehoboth is, and Isaac was excited to be there, but he he, he digs one more well, one more well. Verse 25 says, Isaac built an altar there and worshiped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place, and his servants dug another well. That very day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a new well they had dug. We found water, they exclaimed, so Isaac named that well Sheba which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up there is called Beersheba, which means well of the oath. I found another meaning for it. Another translation is well of the seven oaths or the sevenfold blessing. This is the well. When you get to this well, when you get to Sheba, you're at a place in your walk with God, you're at a place in your spiritual life where nothing's impossible for you. You want the power of God to work through your life in amazing ways, healing in your hands, prophecy on your lips, deliverance in those that you speak over, the things that God wants to do, get to the well of Sheba. If I had one wish for your life this year, if I had one wish more than any other, it would be that you and I would begin to drink from the well of Sheba. Isaac's come to this place in his life He's made his share of mistakes. He spent time at the well of Esek. He spent time at the well of Sitna. He spent time at the well of Rehoboth. And now he's at this well of Sheba. God has settled his spirit. God knows him. He knows the Lord. There's something amazing happening in his life. And I want you to notice that Isaac did not stop digging wells until he reached the place of Sheba. This is where he pitched his tent and where the well of blessing was established in his life. Here are the blessings, the promises of Sheba. Do not fear, the Lord says, for I am with you. The blessing of your last well is God's presence in your life continually. How many of you want that? He says, you are about to be multiplied. I'm going to give you years of increase. You won't walk in lack, but in plenty. Now, I don't want you to just boil that down to money. I want you to think about that in every part of your life, to not walk in lack. And I think this is a generational well. The enemy will be afraid of you. The devil won't have you on the run. You'll have the devil on the run. Every time you dig a well, you'll find new water and fresh water. This is the place of the saints of God where they, they don't live hit and miss lives. Aren't you tired of Christians living hit and miss lives? Aren't you tired of living a hit and miss life spiritually with the things of God People that live at the well of Sheba don't live hit and miss lives. They live lives of kingdom effect. They live lives abandoned to the call of God and the work of the kingdom of God. They draw near to God, and God is there. And here's one of the coolest things your well becomes a city. Beersheba, it's the place of Isaac's well. You begin to walk in such favor of the Lord. In fact, in verse 27 and 28, the people say, it is, they say to Isaac, it is so clear to us that God, his hand is on you. How many of you want that kind of life? Man, I wanna walk everywhere I go and people look at me and be like, bro, I don't know what it is, but God's hand is on your life. Can I just say nobody says that to me yet? but I want them to. And a whole city grows up around this well, a whole a whole generational city. In fact, if you got on an airplane today and you flew over to Israel, you can still go to the Isaac's well at Beersheba. It's still there. How many of you want to drink from the well of Sheba? If you want to drink from the well of Sheba in 2023, I want you to stand to your feet as a sign to the Lord. I want you to make an oath with him. It's the well of the seven blessing, the well of the seven oath. Worship team, if you'll come, and I want you to stretch your hands toward the Lord, and I want you to say to God, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever wells I need to fill in, whatever I need to do, whatever I need to work on, I want to drink from the well of Sheba. Come on, would you say that to the Lord? God, I wanna dig this well. I want you to move in my life. I want something greater than me, not for my glory, but for yours, not for this generation only, but for many to come. God, I want there to be a city built upon the wells that you will dig in my family and in this church, God, and in this community and around the world. God, I don't wanna just average well. Uh, God, I want a powerful well that does an incredible work for the kingdom of God. Lord, that's my heart. That's my desire. Come on, if that's you, tell the Lord. Jesus, do that in me. Do that in me, I pray. What I did, the Lord says, what I did in the last generation, I will do in this generation. And even more than that, God, do it. I pray. Do it. I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this moment that you would begin to speak clearly to individual hearts. What are the wells that we need to fill in? What are the wells that we've gone to looking for life that we need to abandon? Where are the places of our life where we need to change? Where we need to hope and believe? Uncover old wells that still have life and dig new wells so that the life of God might flow fresh and new. Can I just say, friends, that's life. This is life, this is the life Jesus planned for us before the foundations of the earth were laid. He didn't want us to live hidden miss lives. He didn't want us drinking from wells that were empty or wells that brought death. He wanted us to drink from the life that is found in him. Just before we end today, four practical things about wells. You'll never dig a new well until you fill in the old ones. If you think that you're somehow just gonna go through the motions and hold on to that pet well that you've had while still on the side trying to dig a new well with one arm while the enemy's in the land, while all this stuff's going on, you're fooling yourself. You gotta abandon old wells in order to embrace new ones. Second thing I want you to know is the enemy's still in the land. What does that mean? It means you need to guard your well. you got to guard your well. What's your well? Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of your life. Don't let your guard down around your soul, your spirit, your heart. Don't let your guard down and let this world in and this culture and the disgusting things that are out there in this culture. Come on, let's be better than that. Let's live more godly lives than that guard your well. Number three, and this is powerful, the enemy, though he's in the land, cannot stop the river of God. He can only cover it up. He can't stop it. I don't care if he fills in the well with all kinds of debris. If you dig that debris out and do the hard work of spiritual life yourself, guess what? There's still life in that well. He cannot stop the well, the river of God. How does he do it though? I'm gonna tell you the one way he does it more than any other way for the people of God, offense. If he can get you offended at me, I just wanna tell you, I'm not that smart and I'm gonna make mistakes and I'll probably do things you don't like at some point, whatever, you're gonna do things I don't like at some point, all right? You know, and if we could just not be offended at one another, we can talk it out, we can love it, we can hug it out, we can do all kinds of things, but can we just refuse to be offended? What if 2023, you just said, you know what? This is a year I'm just not gonna be offended, even by the trucker that cuts me off on 65. That's what, that one's for me. Offense is the greatest way the devil fills in our wells. Don't let him do it. He's still in the land, but he has no power. And the last thing is this, the thing about spiritual wells, The deeper the well, the more it will cost you. You wanna go really deep with God? It's gonna cost you. The deeper the well though, the more refreshing the water. It's colder, it's refreshing, it's life-giving. The deeper you go, it's gonna cost you, but man, it's way better water. The deeper the well, the greater the abundance. Shallow wells can run dry, but deep wells don't run dry. You want a well in God that doesn't run dry? Go deep, my friend. Go deep. And last, the deeper the well, the higher the quality. The higher the quality of the water, of the life that you will have. So the question for this year is this: what kind of life this is life. What kind of life are you going to have? Want to have the ushers come? We've got I'm gonna ask you to, it's only 11.30, so give me like six more minutes. I want you to do, I'm gonna ask you to do four things in the next few weeks, okay, are you with me? Oh, go ushers, go ahead and start handing those out. You're gonna get a card that looks like this, and you're gonna get a card that looks like this. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do in the next, the next little while, so this, for the next 14 days, everybody say 14 days. I want you to fast, what? What? Yeah, I want you to fast, why? Because fasting is one of the fastest way to dig a spiritual well. So I'm not gonna tell you what to fast or what kind of fast to do. You can fast all food, please drink water. You can fast, you know, do a Daniel fast. There's a number of different fasts out there. Uh, I wanna point you to the resources on our website or on the Church Center app. We, uh, As I said, Stacy's done all these resources for you, fasting guides, all kinds of things. Uh, that you can utilize in order to uh, know what to do. So I wanna ask you the next 14 days to fast something. How many of you will say, yeah, Pastor Jeff, I'll go with you on this and I'll fast something. Like six of us, good, we're on a good start. You'll do something. Fast TV, let me give you a great one. Fast social media. And all the, and look at your screen time and figure out how much time you spend scrolling Facebook and then spend that time in prayer. Your life will change. Fast something the next 14 days. The next three Sundays. Everybody say three Sundays. I want you to come pray at nine o'clock. I'm not gonna ask you to come in February. If God doesn't touch you, you don't ever have to come again. But I want to I want to challenge you, get your rear end out of bed, get your kids ready, and be here at nine o'clock with your children in the room, and you'll experience a presence of God you've not experienced in very many places. Why? Because remember how we have individual spiritual lives with God, but there's a corporate life with God too. And when we gather in here and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I'm gonna say it this way, if you're not coming to our nine o'clock prayer, you're missing out. And I don't say that because I'm the pastor. I'm just telling the truth. You're missing a powerful moment in the presence of God where we call on him in power. So I want you to come. The next three, give me three Sundays. Give me three Sundays and come and pray. Starting next week at 9 o'clock. Number three, you have this little card. Everybody look at it. This is called a spiritual life survey. I know the the print is small, so put your glasses on or borrow somebody else's. I want to ask you to fill this out before you leave. It's totally anonymous. There's no place on here to put your name. Uh, Even if there was, it's not like we're going to come after you. What am I trying to do? I want you to measure your own spiritual life. So get a pin, right now. Get a pin. There's some in the seat back in front of you. You might have to share a neighbor's pen. Here you go. You can sit down if you want to. How, number one, how would you rate your current spiritual life? Your current spiritual life, scale of one to 10, zero, one being you live next to Satan's throne and 10 being you live next to God's throne. Where would you raise your spiritual life? One to 10. Number two, would you say your spiritual life is trending up? Like you might be a six, but baby, I'm on the upswing. I feel good. I feel like God's moving in my life. Or you might be a six and man, it's been getting worse because last year I was an eight. How would you rate your trend? Up, down, or stagnant? Number three, how many days a week do you average reading your Bible? I realize it probably varies week to week, so just give me a guess. Yeah, three days, four days, five days, two days, one day, zero days. I don't think zero is an option. How many days a week do you average spending some time in prayer? I'm not talking pray for your meal like that doesn't count right I'm talking like you're praying for needs you're praying for your family you're praying for the kingdom of God whatever but you're praying how, how many how much time or how many days in a week do you, would you figure you spend a little bit of time praying okay now these other ones are subjective what area of devotional life is the greatest struggle for you you can circle every one of them or just, the one, just one or two, whatever, all that apply. Time, I don't know how to do it. I struggle to read the Bible. I don't know how to talk to God in prayer. I don't know how to worship. I don't know what journaling is. I can't find a quiet place because I have eight children in my house. That was a joke. Listening to the Lord, that was not, that was not, it <laughs> was not a joke. Or other, maybe I didn't list what you struggle with. Last, what, uh, what are the greatest, I can't read that word, obstacles, to de- I didn't bring my glasses, what are the greatest obstacles, I said to borrow some, but anyway, to developing your devotional life, busyness, you're just too busy, and you have no margin in your life, again, quiet place, that's a struggle, <laughs> I don't know how to do it, discipline, everybody should just right now go ahead and circle discipline because that's the the greatest one we struggle with, desire or other. Then lastly, again, subjective. Is there any area where you feel like our church could help you? What could we resource you with to solve the obstacles? What could we do? What are some ideas or some thoughts you have? You don't have to write anything there. If you don't have anything, that's totally fine, Uh, but that's there for you. I, w- I should tell you as well, you can take the survey on the Church Center app if you want, it's there as well. Okay, I want you to fill this out. Hopefully you just did that. And on your way out this morning, you can drop it in the, in the buckets. We'll have a couple of guys with buckets or you can drop it in the black box. And lastly, the last thing I'm gonna ask you to do, and this is for the next 90 days. Everybody say 90. Some of you can't think for 12 days, but 90 days. We're gonna commit, if you will, to doing your devotions, spending time with God. Guess what, next Sunday, and the next Sunday after that, the next two Sundays, I'm gonna talk about what it means to have a real devotional life with God. What does that look like? How do we pray? How do we read the word of God? How do we study the things of the Lord? How do we flow with the things of God? How do we grow closer to God in our life? We're gonna talk about that, so I'm gonna to try to eliminate the know-how, I don't know how to do it excuse. Does that make sense? So what I'm asking you to do is to consider committing to a 90-day devotional challenge between now and Easter Sunday. It's about 90 days from now. Now and Easter Sunday, spend 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, 212 minutes a day, whatever you want. I'm not going to dictate that to you. For me, I'm asking you for a minimum of 15 minutes. And again, I'm going to give you some tools on how to do it. And there are some tools on on our website. Five out of seven days a week is the goal. Here's what I wanna say about that. If you've never done devotions before, and in these next 90 days, you figure out how to do one day a week or two days a week, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout and dance and have a great time with you, because that's a victory. If you're a three day a week, a week person, let's push that to four, or maybe five, okay? Now I'm not asking for more than five, because Sunday is the day of manna, and it can last two days. The glory of the Lord can bless you. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do your devotions on Monday, but we're going for five days a week. Can I just say, if we'll commit to this together as a corporate body, I can't even describe to you the things God will begin to do among us and in us and through us. I can't even describe the dreams of your heart, the dreams of this church's heart, all the things that God has spoken for years and years and years will begin to come to fruition as we dig spiritual wells together. This is how you dig it in your own life. Our prayer time together, our worship time together is how we dig it as a church. Everybody with me? Okay, please fill out the the survey. Please, 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 if you didn't do it. It's for me to have data. I want to know what percentage of our church feels like their spiritual life is stagnant. I want to know that because that's something I want to work on. I want to know how many days a week are we averaging and devote. I want to know where, you know, you can't know where you want to go until you know where you are, right? So we're going to find out where are we, where are we as a body, where are we as a church so that we can figure out how to go to the next level with God. That's what I want to do. Are you with me? Are you as excited as I am? Probably not. That's all right. We're going to get there. Lord, I pray your blessing on these folks, their families. Bless all that is done and said, God, may we honor you. And God, I just pray that you would just just stir up the gifts, stir up the spirit of the Lord, stir up that f- fan into flame, God, that fire inside some of us, God. Let the streams of living water begin to flow afresh and anew. And God, as we make room for you in our daily life and in our corporate life together, may you move in unbelievable, do what you promise. It's on you then, God. It's not on us then. If we do our job, then you have to do your job. It's on you then, God. So would you do it and more than we ever could expect in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift his countenance to you, give you favor and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Love you so much.